Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. We are continuing our sermon series called A Beautiful Mind as we took uh, take a look at mental health and faith. And so just to let listeners know, for this particular podcast, um, it focuses on suicide. So for those for whom this may be sensitive or triggering, just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Before I get into that, though, let me read the passage that we are focusing on uh, today. It comes from the book of Acts in the New Testament. This is from the 16th chapter. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crown joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke of the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced and became a believer in God. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So there has been a lot of attention in the last few weeks about Equifax. And just this morning, I was reading an article that said that uh, as many as half of Americans may have had their identities compromised or have had some kind of information out there. And certainly there are people who are concerned about that and need to be watchful for it. I was thinking back in my own life, I don't think I've ever had my identity stolen before, but uh, I have had a couple of times when I've had my wallet stolen or had a credit card number taken. There was one time my family had gone on a trip. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I do remember we were pretty tired and we flew into O'Hare and took that long train ride from O'Hare into downtown on the Blue Line. For those who've taken it, you know that especially when you're coming home from a long journey, that feels like it's one of the longest trips you ever take because you're tired and the blue line isn't necessarily the most comfortable ride in the world. 
but we got off at the Jackson stop and we're waiting to get on the red line and then made our way home. And later that night, as we were packing and unpacking and getting everything uh, in its proper place, I noticed that I could not find my wallet and searched all over the house uh, through all of my suitcases and bags to see if I'd somehow put it in there. Uh, tried to think back, did I have it uh, on the plane? And I know I had to have had it because I needed the CTA card to get on the train. And then I figured it must have somehow gotten stolen, perhaps at uh, the Jackson stop as we were making the transfer to the red line. It's an interesting feeling, not a good one, when you feel like something has been stolen from you, especially when it's something that has your identification in it. I mean, the money, I don't know how much money was in it, but that didn't really concern me a whole lot. It was, of course, my driver's license and my credit cards and my CTA card and both the feeling of having to go through and get new cards, but just this feeling like without, especially your identification card, you feel a little bit like you're lost because all kinds of things in life are closed to you if you don't have that ID And so I was wondering about how to go about in that process of of getting it replaced when a couple days later, I got this phone call out of nowhere from a a person who said, I think I may have something that belonged to you. It was a city worker. And as she was looking through the garbage uh, at a train stop, there was my wallet on top of the garbage. The credit cards were stolen, but not my driver's license. That's how the city worker located me. It was a little damp, a little sopped, but I was so grateful, not only for this good Samaritan, this city worker, but also I felt like I had been found again. I had my driver's license. I knew who I was, and I had a sense of where I was in the world, too. Getting that sense of who we are, that sense of our own identification came to my mind, not only as we were reflecting on this sermon series that I mentioned earlier about mental health and faith, but also the topic that I noted earlier that we'll be focusing on this week, and that is suicide. The Centers for Disease Control, I was reading up this week on the latest statistics. Uh, In 2015, each year, more than 44,000 people die by suicide in our country. That in and of itself, of course, is jarring and unsettling. But then as you look at other numbers, it gets even more jarring, at least for me. 1.4 million attempt suicide every year, or did so in 2015. 2.7 million made plans. And 19.8 million, almost 20 million people had thoughts of suicide in that year. For us at Urban Village, it's particularly poignant because so many of the folks who attend our church are young adults. And suicide in 2015 was the second leading cause of death among people aged 15 to 34. Certainly, I think there are times when people ask, well, why, why would somebody do that? And there are many reasons why. Could it be clinical depression? It could be a psychosis. It might be substance abuse and a sense of uh, impulse that makes them do it. It may be a crying out for help and they don't know how else to achieve that. They don't know how else to get someone to listen. But in reading about it and refreshing my uh, memory this week about suicide, there's certainly a part, I think, a, a loss of a sense of who they are, a loss of a sense of 
identity, of trying to get a handle on who am I in this world and going to that place and despair where they realize they just don't know. And when that begins to happen, perhaps thoughts that the world would just be better off without them, or even worse, that they may think the world just wouldn't notice if we weren't around anymore, which leads them to those thoughts and and sometimes going through with it. It It's heart-wrenching. As I was hearing stories and listening to folks, and over the years that I've been a pastor and talking to people who have these thoughts, it is always heart-wrenching. And at times we may wonder, where is God in the midst of this? And we may wonder, how can we be, or how can we learn at all? What, how does the Bible inform? How does God inform us in times such as these? Well, we read a passage this week that gives us one story that perhaps can relate at least a little bit. It's a story of Paul and Silas. Paul, you may know, was really the main Christian evangelist in the first century, had a transformative experience of the risen Christ and dedicated his life to telling others the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news that Christ brings into people's lives. And so this is the first trip that he had made now into Europe, he and Silas. And so we read in this story, at first they come across this girl who may also be struggling with her own identity. People believe that she had a sense of being able to tell fortunes, and so she was being abused, utilized for this to make money. And so Paul and Silas take this spirit out of her, which angers the people, her owners, and that gets them thrown in jail. And so now we see here is, we read in the text that Paul and Silas are in the innermost place in this jail, the darkest place in this jail. They are shackled. In the midst of it, we read, though they are praying and singing hymns, but it is in the midst of this innermost darkness that we read verse 27. There was an earthquake that had happened and the doors of the jail fling opened and the jailer thinks the worst. Everyone's chains had been unfastened. And then verse 27 tells us that the jailer woke up, saw the prison doors wide open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he was supposed, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. One scholar or one pastor I read this week who reflected on this passage said that the irony is that those who seem to be in prison are actually free in Christ, and the jailer who supposedly has the keys to freedom is actually the one shackled by his duty. We don't know a whole lot about this jailer. We don't know what's going on through his mind. Was he thinking that he would be killed for not doing his duty? Was his own identity such that he was so tied up into what he does for a living and not who he is? We don't know, again, a lot about him. We know he had a family. But he had perhaps invested so much of his life into what he did for a living, how he lived his life. Then when that seemingly was going to be taken away from him, then that set into motion a thought process that he figured life, ending his own life, was the only option. Because if he only saw himself, I am a jailer. I am supposed to keep people in jail. If I cannot even do that, then life is not worth living. 
I talk about this before in other sermons, but I always have to keep reminding myself of it, of our own identity in Christ, our own sense of belovedness in God, and yet it is so tempting in our life to be defined by other things, either what we do for a living, and we put so much into that, or by our relationships, or by how productive we are in our world, and we identify ourselves with the things that we do rather than identifying ourselves by how we are loved and who we are in God's eyes. And it's always easier said than done. And for those who are struggling with thoughts of whether to keep on living, that is particularly true. They have lost a sense of who they are, perhaps, maybe lost a sense of their belovedness in God maybe losing a sense that they are not loved by anyone. And as I noted earlier, maybe a sense that it would just be better if I didn't burn anyone, or it would just be better if I wasn't around because no one would notice anyway. And they have lost that sense of who they are. But perhaps the key verse in this passage for me is when Paul and Silas see what the jailer is about to do, and they say to themselves, or they say to the jailer, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Remember that passage, I'm going to come back to it. But in thinking about uh, losing a sense of identity and a sense of self, as I was reflecting on today's passage and the topic for the sermon this week and suicide, I couldn't help but think back to an experience that I had in my own life. I played baseball in high school and have memories, particularly of my senior year. I was a pitcher, and we had a, a decent team, not a great team, but a pretty decent team, and we had these three outfielders, all of whom were juniors, and all they were all really good athletes. There was one guy who played right field, who ran, who played football. He was a great football player, and he ran track. He was fast. Didn't have a ton of experience with baseball, but he was such a natural athlete that he was uh, able to make up for it. And I remember one day in particular, the ball was hit to right field, and Chris was his name, and he the wind was blowing that day, and he dropped the fly ball, and I was so mad at him, and I kind of laugh at the memory now. But I thought about Chris and his family this week because the year after I graduated from high school and I went to college in 1987, I got a call one night from, I think, probably one of my parents. They told me this awful news that Chris's brother, Ben, who was only a freshman in high school, had taken his own life. He had committed suicide which rocked this small town in Iowa. And then it rocked it even more six weeks later when this boy's girlfriend did the same thing and the town didn't quite know what to do with themselves. And then on top of that, four years after that, Chris took his own life too. Over the years, as I've thought about his family, I didn't know them real well and never reached out, but I kept thinking to them, to myself, uh, what must it have been like for his family 
his mom and his dad. These are the only two children that they had. What must have it been like over the years as they reflected and thought about what had happened? And so this week I decided to reach out via Facebook, and I reached out to their mom, Donna, who still lives uh, in my hometown. And I reached out to her just asking if um, it would be possible for me to ask a few questions. And she got back to me right away and was gracious enough to say, yes, feel free. And so I asked her questions like, uh, were they ever diagnosed with a clinical depression or uh, what, how, what was helpful for you in the process of this? And did you ever have any feelings of guilt or anything like that? And she answered very honestly. She said, in fact, yes, that she said the most prevalent emotion she had was guilt and probably still is. Now I'm reading from this email that she sent me. She said, I didn't want to be angry with Chris and Ben because I love them and the grief has lessened over the years, but guilt because as their mother, I wasn't able to recognize there was an issue of such magnitude or prevent their deaths. I am their mom. I will always cherish their memories, but I have to move on. I pray that someday we will meet again. And then the thing that struck me, too, in her email was, she said, after the boys' deaths, I didn't want to be defined totally by their deaths. So I made a strong effort to grow beyond that. I think any parent often will see themselves, they define themselves by being a parent, by their children, which on the one hand is understandable, but on the other hand can be a a tricky thing. And I was struck by the way that Donna had said, I didn't want to be defined totally by their deaths. She didn't want to lose a sense of who she was. She didn't want to lose a sense of self. And it sounds like over the years she has begun to regain that sense of who she is, particularly who she is in relationship with God. She noted that the phrase, time heals all wounds, isn't really accurate. She said, God heals wounds and gives us time to get beyond the horrendous grief. God carried me and still does through all the trials of my life, she said in her email, not just the death of loved ones, but all things. I hope I have learned to be a more kind and caring person. One of the most frustrating things as a pastor is when someone is hurting and comes to you and they ask the understandable and appropriate question of why am I feeling this way? Why is this happening in my life? Why doesn't God intercede and make me feel better? Why would my loved one take their own life? And in those moments, they are unanswerable questions. And I feel sometimes like I just lean on platitudes and I keep wondering, and is what I'm saying make any difference at all? Nothing that I'm going to say in this podcast will give you magic words. I've learned that over the years. It is not a quick fix, especially when someone loses a sense of self to the point where they feel like the world would be better off without them. But today, if you're listening to this and you're in that place if you were one of the people who feels like my life is just not worth living, no one would miss me. All I can do and say is lift up that verse again. Do not harm yourself, 
for we are all here. In those moments of despair, when you believe there is nobody, there is nobody here for me. Hear that verse that Paul and Silas cried out and the words that I cry out today. And I believe the verse that God cries out too. Do not harm yourself for we are all here. It's all we can do is to say those words. It's all we can do to be present for those who are struggling with this. And if you are, I pray that somehow those words come into your heart, that you know that somebody is there for you. It's why every single week when I share my email address and my Twitter handle, I do that because I never know if there is one person who might be, because of the Holy Spirit, be moved by anything that I say. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. At the end of the sermon this week at the site where I'll be preaching, I'm going to show it about a two-minute video uh, that our words, ways to be present for those who are considering contemplating suicide. And I'm going to be showing that, and I'll be showing it to, uh, or I'll put it on my pot, on the Podbean page so that you can take a look at that too. It's, a, it's an excellent video and helpful in a small way to uh, for us to know how we can be present for those who are struggling And again, I hope if you are one of those people too, that somebody comes alongside you so that you know that you are not alone and that you can have a sense that you are more than the thoughts that you have. I hope and pray that God somehow speaks that into you. And I know that things will not magically get better right away, but I hope with time that you reclaim your sense of who you are, a beloved child in God's eyes. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. Again, my email is chris at urbanvillagechurch.org, and I hope that you will uh, please reach out to me if you ever have moments of doubt or wondering if there is anybody out there uh, who cares, who wonders uh, if they are all alone in this world, I hope that you will um, please reach out to me. If you are at a place where you are uh, considering suicide too, always we want to make known the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Uh, and that's a number that you can call 24 hours a day. Well, friends, um, we're doing a panel a discussion next week at our site, and uh, I'm going to record that, so it'll be a little bit different. It won't be a podcast traditionally like I have been doing, but um, it will um, be up on a, uh, the Podbean page for you, too. So until next week, friends, may the love and peace of Christ be strong in your lives.